Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran, a ministry of Worship Generation Church in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. And the whole nation's waiting to see what's going to happen. And Adonijah says, I'm your future king. But evidently, many people knew that Solomon was a future king based upon what David promised. Like, hey, you know, in the castle, they say David promised it to Solomon. Well, then what's Adonijah doing out here with all these other guys, huh? It's going to be a civil war again. We just barely recovered from the Absalom thing 15 years ago, right? And ladies, I was telling, I think I was talking to Brad, I asked Sam, I forget, it might have been Scott Cunningham Tuesday. I got, you know, aren't you glad when your wife comes and you go like, hey, all the eyes are on you. You know, husbands need wives that go like, hey, you know what? The eyes, have, the eyes are on you. That's a strong exhortation. And ladies, don't be afraid to say it to your husbands. Even though he's the king and you're the queen, like, hey, you just go in there and tell it the way it is. Hey, listen, what are you going to do? Because people are watching you. It's good to have a wife hold you accountable to be true to your word. A better tomorrow is always going to begin when men and women remember the promises they've made and they keep them. That day for the future. And when they step into eternity, everyone they leave behind can say they kept their word. And that's a great baton of character to pass on to any people you love that are left behind, friends and acquaintances. The second thing that happens in this story, though, is verse 28. We pick it up that. Well, okay, King David, he's, he's out of bed now. He's like, well, you know, huh? huh? what's going on? Then King David answered and said, call Bathsheba to me. So Bathsheba would have stepped out when Nathan came in the room. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king took an oath and said, as the Lord lives, who's redeemed my life from every distress, just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, saying, as surely Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, he shall sit on my throne in my place, so I will certainly do it this day. Then Bathsheba bowed her face to the earth, paid homage to the king, and said, Let my lord king David live forever. So David gets the information from Bathsheba, gets the information from Nathan, and he makes this. Now, there are certain things that will get you going when you're a little bit older. If someone's taking your money or you hear like someone did your money, like, oh, hey, what, what now? Hey, whoa, you know, like I've noticed with my dad. Anything about Monday, hey, what, what's going on? Like, you'll snap out of it pretty quick, right? But I'm thinking about David... All you had, all you had to say to David is Joab. I mean, Joab, you know, like like he could be in memory care, asleep with the TV on, and someone goes, Joab, he'd be like, you know, like Joab is Joab. Like Joab was a thorn in his side his whole life, and he tried to fire him more than once. Joab shed innocent blood. David had constantly say, "That's what he did. It's not on my household or my family." We've seen that. We'll see that in the next chapter with Solomon. Solomon will be like, that's all on him. It's not on my household. That's on Joab. But Joab was such a thorn in the flesh for David. And it was, remember, Joab put the spear, contrary to David's wish, through Absalom. And now Joab is aligned with Adonijah. And it doesn't say it, but we know the characters and we know enough supporting verses that if David thought even for a moment that Joab would take the life of Solomon, whoa. 
because David loved Solomon. David promised Solomon the throne. And David grieved and sobbed, Solomon, Absalom, my son, Absalom, my son, Absalom, my son. He sobbed with a grief unspeakable, which we studied in topically a couple weeks ago, over Absalom and knowing that Joab is the one who put the javelin through Absalom, contrary to what the king told him to do. Joab could disobey the king and get away with it. And by golly, not on this day, Joab is not going to be yoked with Adonijah, the younger brother of Absalom, and execute my son, the son of grace, the son of mercy, the beloved of the Lord. That is not going to happen. And this day, I'm advocating the throne or surrendering the throne, yielding the throne. Now, since I'm 60, I can say this. But the danger of getting old is you don't let go. It's older people, you know, if you're a, a hoarder, you keep hoarding, generally speaking, without the Lord intervening. Like, so often when someone dies, well, Debbie Bryson's a great realtor down there in Vista, good friends of our family and my mom. When she told me that so many times when a house, when someone passes away with elderly people, they just, they'll just roll up the 10 by 30 dumpster, you know, those big blue ones, and they just chuck it. All these things that people couldn't let go of, they just chuck it. My mom was really smart. As she was getting older and on the clock from 75 to 85, she gave everything away. She identified it in her will. Oh, Phil gets the coffee table. Joe gets the shell from Guam, you know, and all these things. The, you know, the, this jewelry goes to Barbie and this thing. My, my, mom, my mom's will was like, you know, my Catholic mom from the Midwest. Like, it's in detail, you know. It's like, like a garage shell, everything itemized, who gets what. And then she'd revise it every two years and give us a fresh copy. Like, oh, I'm giving Joe the table now because Phil's on my bad list. <laughs> my mom should say, I'm revising the will. Like when she's next, I'm going to change the will. I'm like, well, you just do that. But as we get older, it gets harder to let go of things. It gets, it gets harder to let go. And I suppose the last thing you really let go of as an elderly person is your checkbook and control of your finances. And you can only hope on that day that you're turned over to someone that you trust and they're trustworthy. Right? In case you didn't think about it, that's eventually where it goes. Eventually, you can't write your checks. You can't pay your bills. When my dad was getting fuzzy about... Eight years ago, when he's still living on his own, we didn't realize it, but he was mixing up which checkbooks he was paying for stuff. So when I, be, when I became the steward of his estate and t- took care of stuff, I was going through these checkbooks, and he, he was confused. So the last year and a half where he was in charge of his money, he was very confused over who he was paying and what and all this stuff, and, and we were able to intervene at the right time, just in time. But you don't want to let go. So think about this. You're the king of Israel, and you might be laying in bed with circulation problems, but the queen mom is still Bathsheba. You still control assets the, the size of Southern California and the wealth of millions and billions of dollars equivalent for that economy at that time. You're still the most powerful man in Israel. You're still the anointed one of, of God. You're the king. And you know, on this day, in that bed where he's cold, he gets out of bed and says, I'm yielding it now. I'm letting go of all of it today. The power, his identity, the CEO of the company, you know, the, the figurehead, he let go. And there's such a good witness for us here. There's such a good testimony for us because the only way to resolve this is he had to let it go. If you've ever taken care of your elderly parents and they didn't have things in order with the trust or the will or something had to be changed or they had to do a revocation of power attorney, the older they get, the harder it is to do it. It's harder to get them to go somewhere 
to a notary or a lawyer and sit down. Does anyone know what I'm talking about here? Yes. Yeah. There's. Yeah. It gets harder. That's why it's really important you do this stuff in your 50s and 60s. And if you revise it every few years what people do, that's good. But I can't tell you how many people I've ministered to whose elderly parents left in eternity that never put this stuff in order. And whenever I drive by a house in, for sale and it's in probate, that just tells me someone didn't put that in order. Because that means the man or whoever controlled it didn't let go, take 45 minutes of their day to go down, sign a piece of paper with a notary, submit it and have it on record and make copies for all the relatives, for the, the beneficiaries. But to let go of being the king of Israel, that's, think about what David let go of this day. Because, you know, some people have to have power till the very end. But life is letting go, letting go, letting go. And eventually, like people, you can't remember their name. They take care of you and they help you bathe and they, they help you dress. Because I watch that. Every day I'm involved with my dad. I said to Jennifer, I'm not sure if I'm going to keep shaving my dad because it seems like his hair is kind of not growing anymore. His facial hair is kind of slowed down. And she goes, oh, you should shave it. He likes it. My dad, I realized about four years ago, couldn't, couldn't shave anymore. So I use electric razor when it's short. I have to get the good razor when it's a little bit longer. He gets all the hair on his neck. But we'll have golf on. He even likes surfing. He watches WSL, the pro surfing. And I'm like, He moves around while I'm shaving, but it takes about 20 minutes. It, t- it takes a while to shave my dad. There comes a day when we're so let go that we can't wash our hair, ladies, and we can't shave men. So I think the great application here is if God's telling you to let go, let go. Let go of the past. Those are good memories. Those are photo albums. I've got a whole book. In my bookcase, I have about 12 photo albums from the time Jennifer and I got married until the kids were adults. I keep saying I'm going to do the grandkid album, but I haven't done it yet because it's all on the phone, right? I'm old school, but I still got one old school photo album unused yet that I'm, one of these days I'm going to do it. And that's what it becomes. Like I prayed tonight, like the Chronicles are not yet, they become memories. And you let them go. There's a time you let go of Vista and move to Virginia. There's a time you let go of Virginia and move to Vermont. There's a time you let go of Vermont and move to Cardiff. There's a time you let go of life in Cardiff and you move to Costa Mesa. There's a time you let go of serving with Pastor Brian and you land here at Shoreline. And there's times people, all the people we love that have moved on, we let go. One of the greatest attributes you can have as a godly woman, as a godly man, is the ability to let go. To let go of dreams, to let go of loved ones, to let go of assets and wealth, to just give it to the Lord. I, I pray with a man here in the first few years of the church. I share this story occasionally. He had gotten ripped off by his business partner for $5 million. $5 million. And he's quite calm about it. Nice man. His daughters did gymnastics. They were very good. And that's how the connection was there because that's when Leah, our daughter, did gymnastics. So he heard about the church and he came out. And he was telling me this story. I was like, wait, your business partner ripped you off for five million? He's like, five million dollars. Yeah, he did it all. Sold everything, shady contracts, all this stuff. And his daughters at this time were like 16 and 14. I said, oh, wow. Like, that's, what are you going to do? He said, oh, I let it go. I was like, wow, man. I get upset over five bucks. <laughs> My mom will fight you for five cents on the phone for a whole day. You know what I'm saying? I tell mom, your life, your, the, your life is worth more than $5 to be on the phone for three hours. No, it's a matter of principle. But you know what he said to me? He said, 
life is very short and my daughters are teenagers and I want to enjoy this time in their life and the lawsuit could go on for five to ten years and who knows if I'll see the end of it and why would would that affect the joy of my life with my daughters in this season that will be gone soon enough. Man, I'll never forget praying with that man. He never came again. I said, that's the man that forgave his business partner for $5 million. And that's an inspiration to me. We have to let go. I'm so proud of David for letting go of the throne on this day. Because he's so old and it's his whole identity. I'm the king of Israel, but what do you say in his final words? I'm the psalmist. Remember when he he saw Chronicles, or Samuel, he said, I'm the psalmist. That was his legacy, but who knows? Maybe he's in the desert going, I'm the king, I'm the king. But maybe all he said here was Joab. You never know what the Lord's going to use to get us moving. But he had words that hadn't been proven. He said something, but it didn't have action. But here, here, oh, we got action. We got, maybe all he said here was Joab is aligned with Adonijah. We don't know, but we've got action. And his action is so commendable this day. And he had let go of a lot in his life, hadn't he? He had to let go of Absalom. He had to let go of the child with Bathsheba. He had to let go of so many things. But look what he says when he's letting go of his identity, of his place of power, of his control of wealth, because he still controlled the wealth. He said, As the Lord lives, who's redeemed my life from every distress, this day, I'm going to do this. And he did. Isn't that awesome? When he's reaffirming, I promised you in this past, in the past I'm going to do this, and now today I'm doing it. You can count on my word. I promise it. I'm doing it today. And as I do it, I'm going to remind all of you, the Lord who has redeemed me of every distress in my life, he's been faithful in every situation. We got this. Me and the King of Kings got this. Me and Jehovah got this. Me and the one who called my son Solomon, beloved of the Lord. We got this. I tried to make Adonijah love the Lord, loves Jehovah, whatever. Me and the Lord, we got this. On the day of Christ Jesus, we got this. See, he is reaffirming the original promise and he's affirming his faith and God's faithfulness to him. God has never let me down. He has never left me hanging. He's been everything I've ever needed him to be, like the song we were singing with Bobby earlier. And now he says, you know what? I'm giving up the throne today. I'm not waiting for tomorrow to give up the throne. I'm giving up the throne today. And he did. Isn't that beautiful? It's letting go. It's letting go. It's letting go of people we love very much. And I'm going to miss them. It's letting go. But it's a beautiful thing. Nothing stays the same. We don't want to stare at each other getting older unless we're meant to stare at each other getting older, right? If we're meant to be here getting older, let's all stare at each other and get older together, right? But if you're meant to go somewhere in Jesus' name, then go be fruitful in Jesus' name where he's taking you. You've got to let go. Man, letting go is the most important thing. As I've gone through all these things in life, whether it's people, dreams, all this stuff, there's a time for action. And the action, the promise comes to pass. David takes the actions. I'm going to do it this day. He reaffirms the promise. He affirms his testimony of faith. And he gets it done with urgency. He rose to the occasion. Man, he rose to the occasion. And now we pick it up. In verse 32. Oh, excuse me, verse, yeah, verse 32. And King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehodiah. So they came before the king. And the king also said to them, Take with you 
the servants of your Lord and have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule and take him down to Gihon. Now, the mule is the king's mule. There's only one of them. No one else can have a mule. It's the king's mule. It's his pony. Either he rides it or decides who rides it, but you don't just ride the king's pony. That's his mule. It's very symbolic, very important. There, verse 34, there let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel, blow the horn, and say, long live King Solomon. Then you shall come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, and he shall be king in my place, for I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. Verse 36, Benaiah the son of Jehadadiah answered the king and said, Amen. May the Lord God of my Lord, the king, say so too. As the Lord has been with my Lord, the king, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my king David. Zadok, so Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehedadiah, the Cherethites, the Peleothites, that's his secret service, his private guard, went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and took him to Gihon. Then Zadok the priest took a horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon, and they blew the horn. And all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And all the people, this is the general population, they went up after him, and the people played the flutes and rejoiced with great joy, so the earth seemed to split with their sound. Oh, it's, it's a new beginning. It's a new beginning. There's some really good stuff in the first part of Kings with Solomon coming to the throne. It's a new beginning, and it's a joyful day in Jerusalem. Now, side note, this news all came to Adonijah and Joab and all those guys, and it came to them through Jonathan, what had happened with Solomon in the rest of the chapter 41 on. It came to them, and it was affirmed that Solomon sits on the throne, that people are blessing him, and that people are praying that he'll be more blessed than David was, and that God will be with him. And everyone split from Adonijah, and Adonijah knew his life was now on the line. So it's kind of like Haman in the book of Esther, the noose you build. Yeah, that could be the noose you hang in. So Adonijah would have been executing Solomon, but now the roles reverse. So he goes and grabs the altar of God and sends, it comes to Solomon that Adonijah's there begging for mercy, and Solomon gives him mercy. He says, if he proves a worthy man, life will be great, but if he's a scoundrel, he'll pay for it. So the very first thing Solomon had to do as king is decide what to do with Adonijah, and he handled it wisely. Now, next week, verse by verse in chapter 2, we really get, hey, Shimei, Joab, all this stuff. It goes down before David steps into eternity and then after he steps into eternity and what Solomon has to do. But this, this is the chapter where Solomon is now king. He's on the throne. Like, David's not there. It's like the first week that the pastor's no longer the pastor and there's a new pastor. It's like, hey, you know, they're not just filling in or maybe they brought someone from the outside, whatever. It's like, they're gone. They, that's it. And that's just, there's a new CEO and we know that there's transition with changes, right? Like when companies change CEOs, they often merge. They let people go. They acquire these people. They bring in their own people, sports programs, schools, deans of universities, athletic administrators in big colleges. This stuff goes on all the time. It goes on all the time. Change in leadership happens in life all the time. And in American politics, every four, every two years. In Russian politics, maybe once every 50 years, uh, Different countries, different things, right? They go different ways. But this is a tremendous, dramatic change, and Solomon is established. It is a new beginning, and this is what I really want to leave us with tonight, that God is in the business of new beginnings. It's a new beginning. That's the way it works. There's just different seasons in life, 
You get married, you have children, they're new seasons, they're new beginnings. You leave this job, you got a new boss, it's a new beginning, you have to adjust. You have to adjust to the new boss. You have a new governor, they this way, the previous governor's that way. You move from Florida to California, it works like this. You move from California to Florida, it works like that. I mean, that's just the way it is. You get new beginnings. We get new beginnings. And God has a new beginning for Israel. And this is what I want us to remember from this story. As this new beginning was happening, Benaniah said, may your son do more than you ever did. Benaniah had the eyes of faith to believe for a greater reign from a greater king than even the great king David. And for the next 400 years, all those kings of Judah will be compared to David. Yet, if you think about it, in human history, when you mention kings, these two kings are two of the most famous kings that have ever lived in the human experience. David, that king of Israel with the heart after God, and Solomon, considered in almost all cultures, even non-Christian or even Judeo-Christian cultures, even the Asian world and the Asian religion cultures acknowledge the wisdom of Solomon. When they say Confucius, then they say, I say Confucius, you say Solomon. Like Solomon is world-renowned in human history for being one of the wisest men that ever lived. And the book of Proverbs is one of the most famous books on planet Earth. It stands alone. That's why you can go to bookstores and find just the book of Proverbs. Because the book of Proverbs that Solomon wrote, it stands alone for some of the greatest wisdom ever written. So David was the king that had the heart for God, and his son was the king that had the wisdom from God, and together the two of them are considered two of the greatest kings that ever lived. Everything after that, it's Rehoboam. You get some good guys, Josiah, Hezekiah, but these are two great ones. This was an upgrade. In fact, if you're speaking, just politically speaking, the time of Solomon, there was no war. He, was, he had a detent. He had the military strength that just deterred anyone. David had battles all the time with everybody. Solomon had a secure border, and he had stables and armies and cavalries. It's like, what? He had all the wealth. He was the smartest man, the richest man, the wisest man that ever lived in his time. The Bible tells us he was that guy on planet Earth. They got an upgrade. For the next 30, 40 years, if you lived during that time, and when that czar or that prime minister or that queen or king came to power, it was, a, it was a time of safety and security. It was a prosperous time. Economically, it was a good time. And he did love the Lord. He makes mistakes just like his dad. But in the end, Solomon was beloved of the Lord. And they prayed that things would be better when he became king. And this is the vision we all want. When we think about change in our life, when we think about change in other people's lives, when we think that we have to just let go, we need to keep our word, we need to let go, Let go and believe something greater. Believe a greater future for who's replacing you at your workplace. Believe a greater future for your children as they become adults in the world. Believe a greater future for these kids in our children's ministry as you minister to them, that there's a future and hope for them that exceeds ours. Let the world worry about collapsing economies. But let the church reflect faith, of convictions of faith, confidence in the Lord. My vision for what God wants to do in this church, spiritually, numerically, and economically, is completely free from anything that I hear outside the walls of this church. This is the house of the Lord, and my faith is built up in this place for me, my family, my health, my children, my children's children, you, the body of Christ, the Calvary Chapel movement, the universal church, and I ask for more so I can give more, and he gives more. We're not running to the hills. We're running to the front. We're not trying to flee from the action and retracting. We're we're stepping out in faith and expanding. That's who we are. In Jesus' name as the body of Christ. 
So I want us all to go home tonight from this text realizing that they prayed that Solomon was the beginning of something better. And I pray for you in your personal lives as we turn the corner on August for the final third of this year that you will believe God for something bigger and something better for your life in the times of change. And you will always look at the next generation and the one coming behind him that you will believe something bigger and better for them in the, to the glory of Christ and for the purposes of Christ in their life. Don't ever dumb down God when you look at the next generation. Remember who's on the throne. And remember his promises are the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same. And his promises are always yes and amen. Solomon reigns. It's going to get better. Jesus reigns. The king is coming. And it's going to get better. And whatever goes on around us, if it's an apocalyptic movie, that's okay. Because if he reigns on your heart, he reigns on everything that matters. Right? In Jesus' name. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our church YouTube channel. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. For more information about Pastor Joey personally, you can follow him on his Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and God bless.